Welcome to Marafaya, the show that dives into the climate crisis in Belize. I'm Andre. And I'm Digna. Today, we're going to talk about the AstraZeneca vaccine, vaccine hesitancy, and medical racism. At the end of the episode, we also have two major announcements we hope you stick around for, including a chance to win some money. All right, Mamiga Samarat. No, really, get me some more money. Let me know if you have some work for me. Last week, last week, we asked our audience to submit any questions they might have about the vaccine rollout in Belize. On June 4th, I met with Dr. Beer, the maternal and child health technical advisor, who shed light on some of those questions. Before we begin our discussion, we will be sharing our moment of gratitude, one minute of rage. Each week, Andrea and I swap a moment of gratitude for a minute of rage on any topic that's been on our minds in the past week. Today is my turn to share my gratitude with you all. And I'm choosing to express my appreciation for all the other people who are along my running route that I do every Tuesday and Thursday in the evenings. I usually write before I go out and um, writing is very isolating and I get really in my head when I'm doing it as as becomes the norm, you know, when you do that. And so I always look forward to the run right afterwards, one, because I'm moving my body, but also because it's just nice to see all the people along the Caribbean scene, Belicite, you know, just taking care of their bodies, running, and a couple of them at this point have become regulars and depending on the time I know when I'll see them. And it's just a, it's a nice consistent thing to be able to interact with people, do the head nod or like a, you know, a short brief wave and move along on, on the route. And um, I don't like running with people. I really don't like that. Um, but I do like seeing other people running. Um, so if you see me running, you know, you can always say hello. I'm usually wearing a, uh, a bright coral a sweatshirt that is intended to keep my skin protected from the sun. You can't miss me. Thank you, runners, walkers, movers. I see you. Good job. Oh, my God. It's been years since I last went running. Like, it used to be such a great feeling. And I'm always saying, like, oh, this Monday I'm going to start. This Monday, and I just keep delaying it. And I haven't, like, I'm just getting lazier the day by day. Yeah. I mean, I, I go through phases, you know, I go through super depressed phases where I just don't want to do anything. So whenever I'm not in that, I'm just really into um, really into getting my body going and, and moving, you know. Yeah, that's good. Keep it up. I hope you do keep it up. Yeah, we'll see. So now it's my time to share my rage. Yeah, and- girl. <laughs> and today I want to speak about income inequality in Belize. A few days ago, I saw a post that was shared by Hot Off the Press. I believe it was showing um, some of the social security statistics and it shared like, you know, what uh, Belizean earns for the week. And I mean, I kind of like expected it, but it was still somehow surprising to see that Almost 75% of Belizeans that contribute to SSB make less than 420 a week. And I find that surprising and sad because after a sixth farm with an associate's degree, I went to work and I was earning about 420 a week. And however, as a single person living with my parents and not like a single bill to worry about, I still f- didn't find that enough to actually make a living. So I always wonder, like, you know, how are people that make way much less than this living, those who have to pay rent, those who have kids? And it's, 
I, I, I'm angry because the last time the minimum wage was visited was in 2012. So it's been like nine years that that the tree, I think it's like 350 or 330 an hour. So it hasn't been raised. And but the cost of living keeps getting higher. But the but the minimum wage hasn't moved. And I don't know how people are surviving, how people make this livable. And I know some people complain that, oh, but if the minimum wage gets increased, then the price of the cost of living will increase. But it's been increasing and nothing has been done. And one of the sustainable development goals is to get rid of poverty. But how will that we achieve that if we don't like visit and adjust the minimum wage every now and then? It's been nine years. Come on, we have to do something about that. Like it's not fair for people to be living in such situations. I'm right there with you, Digna. It is unjust that the minimum wage has remained stagnant for so long. Mm -hmm, Definitely, because I remember even as a student when I was looking for uh, places to rent in Cayo, the prices were just way too high especially for someone that's not even working yet and then I still have to depend on mommy and that is funny and you know like you said the taxes uh, the poor people are the ones that are getting like the most heaviest like they're always pressured but like these big companies like I I think if I remember correctly some old uh, thousands and thousands of dollars and they haven't paid it's like why are these not paying but if if it was like a small business like they would have been taking to court a long time ago so no it's just very unjust and unfair and I definitely think we have to revisit um, our laws or policies to ensure that you know there's a fair equity within Belizeans and you know so we could get rid of the amount of people we have living under poverty line like well not get rid of people but get rid of like that cost of like that living style then yeah definitely yeah so um let's uh let's find a way to address income inequality folks uh no big deal <laughs> so it's 2021 it's been over a year since the covid19 pandemic hit belize and a lot has happened since we've had a total of 12,899 confirmed cases and 389 reported deaths so far. Fortunately, thanks to technological advancements in medicine and amazing coordination between research teams across the world, different vaccines have been developed to stop the pandemic. Belize has received the AstraZeneca Oxford and the Sinopharm vaccine and recently made a down payment for the Johnson & Johnson single dose. As of June 4th, a total of 6 to 7,851 Belizeans have received the AstraZeneca or Sinopharm vaccine, out of which 12,270 have been fully vaccinated. However, there are still many Belizeans who are reluctant to take the vaccines for their reasons. Andre, I believe you've taken your first dose. Would you like to share with us how that whole experience was? For yeah, I, I definitely will. Um, I got my vaccine, the first dose of it, in late April. It was a very emotional experience, although it, that the emotions were all happening internally. Uh, there was no dramatics from my end. You know, I really kept it in together. But it was a very easy process. I went to um, a local clinic. Well, not a clinic, sorry. It was St. Martin de Porres. They have an auditorium where they've set up a vaccine clinic right there. I was taken through like, I believe like a four-step process where everything was explained to me along the way. I've gotten like a lot of jabs for different things over the past couple lifetimes I've lived. And the one for the AstraZeneca vaccine was by far one of the least painful 
uh, least intrusive. Um, I was fortunate enough to not experience any symptoms other than psychosomatic ones that I just believed I had because people had told me them. I, I remember at one point thinking, my legs are numb, my legs. And then uh, it was just because I'd been sitting too long on a stool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I had a very pleasant um, first dose experience. And from what I know is that, and from what I know and from, and from what I've read and from what I learned from the interview that people will hear right now with Dr. Beers, the side effects are very mild relative to the impact that the virus can have. And I just want to take the opportunity to reiterate something that Dr. Beer and I talk about quite a bit, which is that any vaccine right now that's available for preventing COVID-19 is a solid vaccine. And this is something that I've read repeatedly as a response to this idea that there are some vaccines that are better than others. Yes, some vaccines require only one dose versus others, but there really is no way in which we can directly compare the vaccines because the circumstances that created them are sufficiently different that any comparisons will be to some degree superficial. And you know, most of us do, don't really have that sort of literacy to be thinking about like, okay, efficacy of vaccines. And, and so I, I also want to be clear that I, I'm only speaking from my very limited knowledge space on that. Interesting. I, I've also have like friends that are very, well, they're not like, I'm not going to get the vaccine, but because of all that they've been hearing and reading, they're still like, not sure off of which brand of vaccine they should take and some of them are waiting i think i'll go for my one next week sometime next week when they come here in my village in the polyclinic to share and it was it's funny because the other day i was travel i was traveling to orange rock on bus and then a friend of mine sat beside me and then we were talking and then she's like she asked me if i've taken the vaccine and then i told her no and it was like oh, you haven't and I was like a very taboo thing to like not have taken the vaccine. And I was like, oh, oh crap, like, no, no, no. like I, I'm going to take it. Like, don't worry. Like, it's, I'm not one of those anti-vaxxers. Like I was just waiting for my turn. So um, I'll go next week for sure. Yeah, you, you, can't, lo- you can't be losing friends because of that. I, I, I w- I've been thinking about that too with friends. I'm just like, hmm, I wonder, like, I, I, I wonder how much to check in with friends and be like, you get the vaccine, you get the vaccine. And I think it's just because it's like, just do it. Just do it if you can. And we will talk about this in a second. I understand that there's reasons why people won't, wouldn't want to get it. But I honestly think one of the other reasons <laughs> that I haven't heard people talk about explicitly or in a, in a direct way is I think some people just lazy sometimes. I think, and, and it's also just like lack of available time. It's laziness and lack of available time. It's like, I get it. Nobody likes to run errands and the vaccine can feel like one more errand, but position it as this is a life-saving errand you can do and it'll be over in an hour and any symptoms you experience will likely be over in a day. So, por que no? Um, Por que no? Ask yourself that and if if you don't have an answer, well, maybe it's worth saving your life until you do. True, I hadn't think about that one. Uh, I'll I'll say that whenever someone tells me that, I'll be like, well, why not? So as we just said, not everyone is as willing as I am to get the vaccine. 
And while some of that is due to misinformation, there's also plenty that is due to complicated histories of, of exploitation and harm enacted by the medical industry against various populations. Whether it's the Tuskegee experiment done between 1932 and 1972 by the United States Public Health Service and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, where Black men were forcibly administered syphilis, the forced sterilization of women of color in the United States up through the 21st century, or the neglect of the indigenous community's health needs by settler colonial states, there are numerous examples of actions that have fostered distrust between marginalized communities and the medical system. More specifically to our region with regard to the COVID-19 response, there's no indigenous representation on the COVID-19 task force collaborating to ensure greater access and education of the vaccine by Belize's various indigenous communities. That's why it's important that those hesitant to receive the vaccine need to be provided not only information on its physical effects, but also space to have their concerns heeded by authorities that have failed to address these histories of violence in a way that can lead not just to the end of this pandemic, but broader collective healing for the injustices wrought by white supremacy, European colonization, genocide, and misogyny. Like environmental racism, medical racism and misogyny are systematic manifestations of a set of beliefs that treat certain populations as more disposable and therefore less deserving of having their needs met or opinions heard. It's for this reason that we are looking for people to talk to that have expressed vaccine hesitancy so that we can better understand the sources for their reluctance and provide some space to talk through that. If interested, you can contact us at madafyah at gmail.com or facebook.com slash madafaya. And now our interview with Dr. Natalie Beers from the Ministry of Health and Wellness. Hi, welcome to Madafaya. I'm talking today to Dr. Natalie Beer. She is the Maternal and Child Health Technical Advisor at the Ministry of Health and Wellness. Welcome to the show today. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Habet, for inviting me. It's great to share information with the public, so we welcome these opportunities. Yeah, awesome. So just to get right into it, um, uh, a lot of people are interested in knowing uh, why Belize was able to access particular types of vaccines. So right now we have access to the AstraZeneca and the Sinopharm vaccine. Why were those the vaccines that Belize has so far received? Um, since um, last year, the government of Belize um, was committed, is committed to procuring vaccines to achieve community immunity through vaccination. Um, in September last year, we signed up with the COVAX facility to access vaccines. Um, COVAX at that moment did not have any vaccine available, but... Um, COVAX at that moment had no vaccine available, but they were negotiating with a different manufacturing company. So as soon as the vaccines were approved by World Health Organization, then COVAX started to have access to these vaccines. So countries around the world that sign up with COVAX is dependent on what COVAX have to offer. So that is how we got AstraZeneca. Okay. Uh, that was allocated for Belize. Okay, that was allocated to Belize. And yes. then the Sinopharm, how did that come to become, be, be one of the vaccines Belizeans are now able to access? Uh, the Sinopharm, um, we received through a donation from the United Arab Emirates, and that was through the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. 
And uh, with both of these uh, vaccines, are they going to be the ones that we continue to use for the foreseeable future? Uh, let's say until the end of summer 2021, or is there going to be other, other formulas that Belize will gain access to? Um, the number of vaccines that are being approved uh, for use for vaccination against COVID-19 is increasing. And um, at this point, um, we could only say that we will have the vaccines that we can acquire. Okay. So we know that these vaccines come with specific expiration dates after which they need to be disposed of. Do you know what percentage of unused vials might be nearing expiration uh, from the initial uh, amounts given to Belize? Uh, what is the estimated loss when we have to dispose of vaccines? Well, I am happy to report to the country that um, we have not lost any dose of vaccines. Um, the last one we had in stock before the last shipment arrive that was expiring by the end of May and the last dose was given around the 12th 13th of May. Oh awesome so yes. like from that initial round uh, all of it's been used? Yes all of it is the one that we're using currently expires in August. Great uh, so we already spoke about the uh, why we got the, the AstraZeneca and the Sinopharm. So does that therefore mean that we will likely not gain access to the other ones, the Moderna, the Pfizer, the Sputnik vaccines? Um, are those in, in any way uh, ones that we'll, we'll, we'll soon have here? Um, we can't give a direct answer right now, mm -hmm. but um, the Ministry of Health and Wellness is seeking other vaccines, and we are already looking at vaccines that may be... Um, okay to administer to population below 18 years of age. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Uh, any of the any strain particular? So far, um, it's only Pfizer that is offering for that age group. Okay. Other vaccines um, are being um, tested in the population, but we have to wait on the results. So compared to other countries in the region, in Central America and the Caribbean, how do you feel Belize is performing in its attempts to achieve herd immunity through vaccination? Um, smaller countries from the Caribbean, um, a group of them receive vaccines for the amount of population they needed to be vaccinated so, because they are small, so they got donations in that amount. Yeah. Um, we are still um, looking for options, including donations or direct procurement. Um, we're not doing, um, compared to many countries, that maybe not even have access to the first dose of vaccine, we're not doing that bad. Okay. But compared to some of the Caribbean countries, they are ahead of us. So we are among the, the highest bracket of the countries in the Caribbean uh, when it comes to vaccination coverage, at least at one dose. Oh, okay, wow, that's awesome. Yes. What do you, what do you think is it about the response by Ministry of Health and Wellness in Belize that has allowed it such a degree of success relative to other countries? Um, well, at this moment, um, if we had all the vaccines that we would need, then we can speak about that. But yeah. right now, the vaccines are limited. Mm -hmm. So it's too early to... To say. Yes. Yeah, of course. But, but the turnout has been um, very good. We, in average, um, from we started the 1st of March, uh, more than 1,000 persons access vaccines every day. Yeah, I've been noticing that trend recently um, over the past week where I was like, I was pretty impressed because it seemed for a second there that it had 
slowed, but then I guess I don't know if that slow period was. Do you think that was an anom- anomaly? It seemed like April, April. It seemed like there was like a, a dip in daily yeah. vaccinations, and then in, recently it's it's gone back up. Do you have any any insight into why that shift has happened, that mm-hmm. dip and then the rise again? I would say that the the main reason for the dip is um, the human resources that mm. we work with. It's the same staff that provide services in the hospital and at the health centers, mm. and sometimes they have competing agenda, and then they cannot be out there as we would love to, but we are picking up on it. Yeah, so it's just that there there is more regular availability of uh, these. Uh, Vaccine clinics is in some ways what you're saying. Vaccination sites. Yes, vaccination yes. sites uh, because they're often not on site in the spaces themselves, right? Like because I know in Belmopan and in Orange Walk, there's like uh, like civic center spaces yes. that are being used for this purpose as opposed to going to a hospital. And then simultaneously they go to the rural communities. Yeah, yeah. But um, for example, here in Belmopan, um, the teamwork from Tuesday to Friday at the civic center and some of the Saturdays. But on Monday, they try to catch up with work from the hospital and the health center that they have pending. Okay. So with the COVID-19 um, infection rates, we were getting daily reports that showed both, uh, showed uh, like gender breakdowns for the uh, virus being contracted. Um, how come with the vaccine, there's not similar sort of demographic breakdowns in the information that pr- that's provided to the public? We do have it, you know. We do collect it because um, every dose of vaccine that is administered is documented in the BHIS. So probably we might, um, we're working on, on, on improving that data that is already collected for it to be published on a daily basis. So for right now, what we have committed is to at least provide a daily update of the total vaccines administered. But we do have the information. Yeah. Male and female by age group. Why is that information not currently being provided to the public? It, it doesn't seem to be any sort of malicious intent behind not sharing it, but no. I'm sure that there's a lot of women who are concerned about whether it's going to negatively affect them because it seems often there is some sort of gendered uh, reaction to the vaccine. At least like that's the popular belief, right? That women are being more affected. And I think that's why I've heard from women that they want to know that other women have received it and have been okay. I think that's why it's okay. important. We can share it. We have it. We do have it. So thanks for bringing that up. And we will make an effort to publish it. Maybe great. not on a daily basis. Yeah. But at least maybe weekly. That would be great. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Um, right now, what is the percentage of uh, the population that has received at least one dose? Okay. For today, we have a total of 67,855 persons that receive at least first dose of um, COVID-19 vaccine. This represents 27.9% of the target population, which is the population 18 years and older, mm-hmm. which is 242,907. 67,000 67, okay. out of 242,000, representing 27.9. So you, almost one third. Yeah, do you feel like that's in pace with what you were hoping for at this time with the, since the vaccine started? Um, we have um, a rollout plan and... Uh, if we had all the staff that we need, um, and we had all the vaccines that we need on hand, we could have vaccinated the, the target population in three months' time. Wow. But 
Um, That would require having 60 vaccinators working full time. On just that? Just on that. Yeah. And then having all the vaccines that we need. So, but since the second dose is um, is, um, 12 weeks, then obviously it would be at least six months. Okay. So in your opinion, what have you recognized as some of the obstacles to vaccine dissemination in the country? You've already spoken about some of that in terms of uh, personnel. Um, Any suggestions on how we can address other obstacles that may not be so reliant on the availability of healthcare professionals, but maybe more in terms of uh, cultural resistance or misinformation? I think the the main issue is the misinformation. Um, And I think people have a right to receive information to make a decision. So um, at the district level, each local team, whenever a person decides to uh, receive the vaccine, then they are provided with health information um, before they receive the vaccine. And then when they're exiting the premises, they get more information after receiving the vaccine. Um, I would just recommend the public you know, to look for information in sources that are reliable, like the World Health Organization, um, PAHO website, the Ministry of Health website and Facebook page. We have to update with information <clears throat> that people can access. And um, here I would like to say that we thought at the beginning, and when I say we, I mean the world, we thought that COVID-19 was just one cough and cold. Mm-hmm one respiratory infection more that we would have to deal with. But we learn now that it's a systemic disease. And systemic means it affects many organs Mm -hmm. in the body. And um, also what we are seeing is that COVID-19 is having patients with signs and symptoms even after being declared Mm -hmm. recovered clinically Mm -hmm. and by laboratory. So is that, that means... Are, is that a population of people they call like COVID long-haul people? Yes. Okay. So that means that these patients will fall into the group of the chronic illness, mm-hmm. now secondary to COVID-19. Yeah. So the question is, why would you expose someone to go through all that process when there is a vaccine to prevent the infection? Totally. All the COVID-19 vaccines save lives. Yes. They may not prevent totally the infection, mm-hmm. but they save lives by reducing the severity of the illness, by reducing the hospitalization, and by reducing the number of deaths. Yeah, totally. That's been something that I've been reading a lot from one, one Turkish-American journalist in particular who's talking about like any vaccine is better than none yes. um, in terms of everything you just said. And I think that's something that a lot of Galizians, uh, it's almost like with, with tennis shoes, right? Where some people are like, I need, I need the best tennis shoes or I don't want none. They'd rather go barefoot. And it's, it's almost the same thing where, where I've heard people say, I'm not going to get a vaccine unless it's like the Johnson. 
Yeah. And it's it's mm-hmm. this thing of like, well, I mean, how long are you going to wait for that to happen? You know, it's, it's the same way it's when you get the new shoes, it's like, are you going to wait six months and go barefoot six months just so you could save the money to get the shoes? Or are you going to get the cheaper shoes for now and maybe somewhere down the line you get the other one? The analogy isn't perfect because I don't think anybody should maybe try to get like <laughs> three different vaccines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's been, there's some like comedy videos online of people saying like, I'm going to get every vaccine. And I'm just going to be protected forever. <laughs> yes. And um, they, what they're recommending is that um, we can't compare the vaccines. Yeah. Because for vaccines to be totally comparable, they would have to be have the same design mm-hmm. when they were studied mm-hmm. or tested, have to be among the same population in the same time period. And the population have to have the same characteristics. So uh, it's impossible to compare all of the vaccines. Yeah. And they have, we have two clear examples. Um, Pfizer and Moderna, they were developed when the cases in the U.S. were low. Whereas AstraZeneca and the Janssen was developed when there were this huge amount of cases in the U.S. So even though... People look at AstraZeneca, oh, it's not 95% compared to Pfizer. And Janssen is not 95% compared to Pfizer. But the value of all the vaccines is um, the effectiveness. So that 95%, we don't know how much they would protect, let's say, against the variants. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the AstraZeneca and the uh, Janssen, they were developed when the variants were hitting the U.S. Mm, so mm-hmm. even that 67 will confer more protection than the 95% of Pfizer. So it's just a, a yes. Uh, all vaccines are good. Yeah. The World Health Organization said clearly once it's more than 50%, it's okay to go. Because right now what we're doing is dealing with the pandemic. Yes, yes. We're trying to... Yes. We're trying to get out of the emergency situation. Yeah. You know, it's like any form of triage. It's like, we just, we just got to stop the bleeding and then we take exactly. the next step after that. Yes. Yeah, totally. I, I'm with you on that. So through our research, we've learned that some business owners can contact Ministry of Health and Wellness to schedule vaccine sensitivity presentations for employees. Do you have any other advice or resources to businesses and other organizations wanting to engage in this conversation with their employees or members of their, you know, organization? Well, um, the Ministry of Health and Wellness is open to provide um, sensitization, orientation sessions on the vaccine. And um, if it's for companies that have a large number of staff, they can just make arrangements and then um, contact their local district health team and we will support. Are there any side effects to the AstraZeneca vaccine that are specific to particular demographics, whether that be people over a certain age or uh, people of a particular gender? All the vaccines have, um, and any medication that we use, even food that we eat, um, have side effects. And I can give you my personal example. I mean, I am obese. Everybody knows I'm obese. Um, I love flour. I know flour is bad for me, but I still eat it. <laughs> so, um, I just ate I just ate six flour flour tortilla tacos this morning, so I'm right there with you. Yes. So um, it's a it's a bad habit on my end that I need mm. to correct, but it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so early vaccines, just like any other medication, have side effects. Mm -hmm. But the most common side effects are those common with the, even with the regular vaccines that we receive, that we administer to the target population, like redness and swelling and pain and the injection site. And um, these vaccines um, also have, people are reporting headache, muscle ache, um, diarrhea sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, loss of appetite, increased appetite. So it's a myriad of signs and symptoms. Yes, yes. But um, that doesn't last for long. It's usually shortly after the vaccination and it lasts about two days. We highly recommend any person that get vaccinated to please report any side effects they have. Mm -hmm. Just report it to the nurse that they work closely with. Okay, so they, they, should, they should contact the person who administered the vaccine to them? Uh, not necessarily, we have hotlines. Hotlines, yes. can you give the number for that right now just so people have it? Um, Oh, it's okay. You, you can give it to me later and then I'll it's just include 0 it. It's 0800-MOH-CARE. That is one of them. Zero. But I can give you the numbers for each one of the districts. That yeah, can, that would be great. And then we can just include that in the information yeah. for the episode. When a person reaches the vaccination site, they go through a process. Yeah. And at the end, they walk out with an information sheet. Mm -hmm. And the information sheet have the information on the side effects that they would present with that vaccine what to do for those side effects, and when to seek medical care. Mm, okay. And then they would give them the name of the facility what uh, they can visit, yeah. where they can visit, and a phone number where they can call for that specific area. So those are filling at the moment when the person reached to the vaccination site. Okay. Um, so this question comes from a woman. Do you have any advice to women who might be wondering what time of the month is best to get the vaccine? Is there any concern for women taking the vaccine who might be in the premenopausal or menopausal stage? Um, so far, the vaccines are recommended for persons 18 years and older. So um, it's irrespective of what phase of menopause a woman can be. Maybe I can um, use also the information that we have on pregnancy. The vaccine was not tested among pregnant women, mm -hmm. but some women receive vaccine, they receive the vaccine, and then they became pregnant afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then those women are followed up to see if they have any side effect uh, or there is any harm to the mom or to the uh, unborn child. And so far, the evidence is showing that there is no harm to the woman and there is no harm to the child. Um, some countries went ahead and they are providing the vaccines for their pregnant women. But we are still awaiting for more data on when the World Health Organization recommends blanket for pregnant women, then we will do it blanket. Okay. But for right now, the data is still insufficient, so we decide to wait. Women that are healthcare workers that are at higher risk for contracting the infection, they would need to know this information. And then if they still want the vaccine, then we, yes, we administer it. But okay. they need to know that it's not blanket as yet. So you, you, you offer that as a caution and then they can make their own decision. Yes. Yeah. 
And, and if not, I guess they wait until the child is born and then they get the then vaccine they at that get time. get their vaccine. Gotcha. So the last question I have is, what is the rationale at the moment for why the vaccine is as yet mostly unavailable to people under the age of 18? It's because when the vaccines were developed, they look at the statistics mm -hmm. and the statistics were saying adult population is the most affected. So that was the group that they targeted. And because we're trying to save lives, then they had to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So um, that is why now they are studying in groups below 18 years, but we still have to wait on those results. So far, I think only Pfizer has got an approval for um, vaccinating population below 18 years, 12, 12 to 15. There's some resistance to the vaccine that seems to be tied up with religious reasons having to do with the use of, of stem cells in the development of some of the vaccines. Do you have any comment on how this is sort of being negotiated within the Elysian health organizations to figure out a way to have dialogue on this, to, to communicate with spiritual leaders about this situation? I think the, the publication of the where how the vaccines were produced is transparent. Mm -hmm. So they share with the population everything that has to do with the production of the vaccines. And for some of them, there are some um, type of cells, like the one you mentioned, stem cells, but it's how it's annoying Creole, like way, way, way washed down. Yeah, yeah. In a sense, so no, it's yeah. not like, oh, it's that and it's only that. Mm -hmm. But um, they would not have used it if it's not necessary. So one have to look at what are we looking for with the vaccine. Um, and here I would, I would invite anyone to just consider that in Belize, we have COVID-19. Um, last year, we had more than 10,000 cases. The health system almost if, well, I would say almost crashed. Yeah. We had almost 300 deaths. So if we never had no case of COVID-19 and we never had no death of COVID-19, then we can think any other theory. But COVID-19 is just one more preventable um, disease by vaccine. Yes, yes. So um, life come before... Um, Theories, mm -hmm. because the vaccines right now, within this pandemic, is to save lives. And I think the evidence is, is coming out strong. You have other countries that are in third wave and the data is showing. Population that is vaccinated is less affected by COVID-19. Population that is not vaccinated <clears throat> is more affected by the vaccine. We have every year in Belize, small number of cases of whooping cough. Mm -hmm. We have vaccines against whooping cough, mm -hmm. but these cases are among children that are not vaccinated. And until then, then the parents say, oh, because the child was so complicated, okay, now we will see the vaccine. But I mean, why expose the child to that when it can be prevented with a vaccine? So um, I encourage um the uh, Belizean population 
for us, we are at a good point. I mean, 29.7 of the target population is, is pretty high. Mm -hmm. um, we were blessed with receiving donations from the people and the government of Barbados, from India, and then from the United Arab Emirates. Um, the government is doing whatever is needed to secure vaccines. Vaccines are not readily available out there. So we are rolling out in phases. And when we open each phase is because we roll out the red carpet for that group. Yes. But when they are not showing up, then we just have to move on with the other groups because we can't wait. Yeah. And um, the third wave for Belize, with cases in, in Mexico, with cases mm -hmm. in Guatemala. With the border reopening. With the border reopening. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of when. Yes. And, yes. and the importance, the protection of the vaccines is not in our storerooms, it's in arms. COVID-19 is preventable with a vaccine. So do you have any concerns about the opening of the land borders, especially in light of the Medical and Dental Association coming out and announcing that they were against it? Um, the land borders, it's a um, concern for the entire country. Mm -hmm. um, if we look at the numbers from January to February, we had a low number of cases of COVID-19. Um, the government was rolling out the rapid testing, contact tracing, and uh, the use of the face masks and the other um, preventive measures were enforced. Um, more strictly than right now. So we never had no vaccine then. But we need to remind ourselves that this is a person-to-person -person transmission. So if wearing the mask protect you against someone that may be infected that can transmit the infection to you and you don't wear the mask, then you're exposing yourself. So with the uh, reopening of the land borders, if we follow the protocols, it will help us to identify early if there is any risk for the population. And I'm pretty sure the government will reconsider closing the, the borders again. Uh, in no way we will expose the population. Um, having the borders open with a situation of poor control, yeah. COVID-19. Yeah. So it's it's not an easy decision for the government. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy decision for us, the population. But we just have to put our part. Yeah. I'm, to me, actually, my bigger concern in the land borders is the restart of the cruise uh, industry, largely because at this point in time, a lot of these cruise ship companies are trying very hard to avoid having to impose any sort of vaccination requirements for their for their guests and then those guests are going to be coming to Belize and basically on the ships themselves they become super spreaders um, among the ships and then it's yeah. like it's like you know a, a zombie plague it infects everyone on the ship and then when they get here what happens then so I, I feel like the energy the focus right now has largely been on the land border but this this whole cruise ship thing to me is a bigger issue because it's like a concentrated amount of people that then are unleashed on a population it's a it's a risk mm -hmm. definitely but um public health measures have demonstrated that 
if we follow the protocols, it will allow us to identify cases early, intervene, and if we need to not allow anyone to onboard from X cruise ship, we'll have to do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to. And so we basically take the problems as they come and we, we, we have the protocols, as you're saying, and, yes. and we, we, we fall back to the protocols depending on the scenario. Thank you for, for your time. I really I feel like I learned a lot and uh, I hope that the people who are listening to this, I'm, I'm sure that they, they appreciate it too. Thank you to Dr. Beer for her time and to you, our followers, for tuning into our show. Before we go, we have two announcements. The first is that we have created a Patreon account. You can find at patreon.com backslash Marafaya. There, you can opt to financially support the work we do on the show, helping to subsidize the cost of transcription, fuel expended on traveling to do interviews, and payment for artistic collaborations. You can make a regular monthly donation to the show, anywhere from as little as $1 to as much money as you want to be given us. It's an easy way for you to materially assist us in being able to sustain the show for years to come. And we'll soon be posting exclusive content there, such as extended interviews and podcast episodes unrelated to our main feed. Our second announcement is that we are having our first art contest. Marafaya wants to make our first merchandise and for that we are offering a cash prize of 250 Belize dollars for a design that conveys Marafaya's mission of fighting to protect the environment we love. Submissions are due July 31st, 2021 and complete contest details can be found pinned to the top of our Facebook page. If you like the show, please subscribe and consider writing a review for us over on Apple Podcasts as it helps to increase the show's visibility. If you write a five-star review, we'll read it in a future episode. If you have a climate crisis or environmental story impacting Belize you'd like to discuss, you can contact us at madafyah at gmail.com or message us on Facebook and Twitter at Marafaya and be sure to hit that follow button. Thanks to Alexander Evans for providing our theme song. You can find him on Instagram at Alexander Evans Music. And thanks to Demi Williams for providing our artwork. And thanks to you for listening to Marafaya. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And remember, climate change is real and collective effort is needed to save our home. Rest when you can and find some shade.